welcome. Um, as you can tell, I'm not Heath Haynes. Um, I am just a normal guy like you guys. And uh, Heath is out on vacation for, for two weeks. So this week and next week, he's, he's not going to be here uh, talking. So instead, you've got uh, people like myself and then Will Pritchard. Um, so that's next week. So pretty excited about that. If you guys were here last week, we finished an Advent series. Um, and now we're kind of on a mini break. So uh, we're going to walk through a couple passages. Um, and this passage has been speaking to me lately. So um, I'm excited to tell you about it. Um, a little introduction about me. My name is Kurt Kiefer. Um, my wife, Marianne, and I um, <laughs> have been coming to the bridge for about a year and a half. And we've been married nearly two years in February. And for you guys that, so we're kind of like in the newlywed period, and for you guys that may either be married or, or newlyweds, I know there are some out here, but holidays are always like really interesting when you're a newlywed, because you don't really know, you know, where you're supposed to be going, and which, we don't, we haven't figured out like which holiday is whose, right? So this year we did Thanksgiving at our house, and we had both families in, but for Christmas we went up to Dallas to visit my folks and also my sister and her husband and uh, my two little nephews, Jackson and Chance. And Jackson and Chance are four and three. Um, they're really cute, um, but they are the only kids um, in the family. So they're the only kids on my side of the family and or my sister's side of the family and then also on her husband's side of the family. So grandparent, you know, they're the only grandkids, they're the only nephews, they're the only kids, period. So if you imagine we went up to, for Christmas in Dallas and there's 20 adults and there's two kids that are as cute as can be. And so when that happens, some of you that have large families, you know that like those kids get all the attention, get all the gifts. So these kids, it was stupid. They were just showered with gifts all weekend. I mean, it was ridiculous. They had, um, <clears throat> they had a, Games, they had Candyland, they had an operation, they got, they got two go fishing games, they got Star Wars toys, like lightsabers are back now, which is awesome. They got that Star Wars mask and the body armor. Um, they got a Star Wars pinball machine, um, and then they got like a huge box of Legos. Um, they got a, a life-size play kitchen, which is like, there's like a fake oven and a fake sink, I don't know, they're, yeah, anyway, so, like, that's, that was really cool, it's just, I don't know, just, it was toy after toy after toy, and so Marianne and I were sitting there, and we had bought them our share of gifts, which was three or four, and it was just, like, one after another, they'd open a gift and get really excited about it, and then we'd be like, oh, Jackson, wait, there's this other gift for you, and Chance, there's this other gift for you, and they were just overwhelmed, and, and the, <laughs> the culmination was two things. One was they got a life-size train set, so, like, where they can ride on it. And, yeah, it's like a Power Wheels, but it's a train set. They can ride on it, and the track pretty much goes around the band thing. And it's just, like, they get on it, and there's, like, a horn. It's amazing. Like, it's richy rich. It's ridiculous the amount of gifts these people got. And then, uh, and then <laughs> the, the ultimate culmination was my sister. Um, so, they're opening gifts. They're, all, they're excited about each one. And then my sister opens, uh, or says, hey, hey, Jackson Chance, I've got two last gifts for you guys, and brings out two presents, and they rip, open to them, rip, rip, rip them open, and they're iPad minis. Like, 
The kids are four and three, and Jackson's like jumping up and down. I got an iPad. I got an iPad. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's ridiculous. Like these kids, they, you know, they, they don't know what the internet is. They don't have an email address. You know, they like they play some games on it, but like their access is restricted. Yet they have this uh, this like this this tool that can be used for so much, and it's just it's just lost on them. So I don't know. Um, so part of me was really jealous because like I got socks, I got wool socks for my parents, and they got like iPad Minis, and then the part of me. Uh, the part of me that was, um, you know, had to prepare for this sermon thought, <clears throat> well, thinking about Christ's birth, thinking about how these kids really did nothing to deserve all these gifts. I mean, they're cute, but, I mean, that's it. Um, thinking about Christ's birth, thinking about the implications of Christ's birth, thinking about all the gifts that, that, that we've received um, and the unsearchable riches of Christ. Um, <clears throat> that Paul lays out, and really what that looks like in our lives. <clears throat> it's interesting that to think that maybe, you know, maybe God or maybe other people are looking at us like, you know, hey, you've got access to all these riches, and and you don't even comprehend what they are, and and you aren't using them to their full ability. Um, so that kind of sets our mindset as we go into Romans 5. I'm going to say a prayer um, to start us off. Father, you are good and holy. Um, we confess that, that we're not um, and that we need you. Let your word and your truth um, be heard today um, and, not, and not mine. God, um, give us hearts to respond to your truth. Praise you for your son. And praise you for your sovereign plan. God, in all things, your will be done. Amen. So, when you're flipping to Romans 5, if you could take out your Bibles. Um, there's Bibles under the chairs if you don't have it or open your apps. Um, Romans is a New Testament book. Um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have the Acts of the Apostles, which is kind of a historical book. And then you have Romans, which is the first epistle or letter written by well, the first letter that's in the Bible, um, in the New Testament, um, written by Paul to the Church of Rome. Now, Paul is an apostle. He's divinely inspired, and divinely inspired of an author of many letters that we see in the New Testament. Um, <clears throat> and this is the first epistle that they, they've ordered in the New Testament, but it's not really the first chronologically. Um, it, um, it really is listed, it's it's put in the Bible where it is because it builds on the Old Testament and it explains the saving work of the Gospels and it also explains some of the foundational truths that were, uh, that the churches in the Acts of the Apostles were based on. So this was written about, uh, written by Paul in about 57 AD um, and that is, he was converted or, or saved in 33 AD, so it's been 20, 24 years since he was, I'll say, you know, given his life to God. Um, so that's just a little bit of background. He's writing a letter to church in Rome. There's a little bit of discord between <clears throat> some of the Jewish Christians and some of the Gentile Christians, and the Gentile being the non-Jewish Christians at that point. 
Um, so there's a little bit of discord in the, in the Roman church, and he is writing to kind of remind them of truths um, of salvation, and also to, um, he kind of sets a, he wants them to be united. He's, um, at, the, at the time, he's on a third missionary journey. Um, he's in Corinth. He is approaching Rome or, or heading towards Rome, and he wants them to be united before he gets there, and he's going to use Rome as a base, a ministry base to which to, to preach to people in, the, in the, what, what becomes Spain. So it's a, it's, it's a great book. Um, it's a great book to read through if you're a new Christian or if you need to be reminded, which we all do. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a complete summary of the gospel message, and it's his most concentrated presentation of God's saving work in Christ. <clears throat> so I'll read through Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, I like to think of this chapter as like a, a what now chapter, um, which starts out um, saying that we've been justified by faith, talking that Jesus came and died for our sins, and it's kind of a kind of a what now. So whenever we see a therefore starting a sentence, we always have to read more. So we see the therefore, we're going to have to read more. So let's kind of jump back and at least think about what Paul was saying, therefore, for. Um, chapter 3, he's establishing that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and a man is naturally unrighteous. In chapter 4, um, Paul lays out how the righteousness of God is not provided by man and our, or our adherence to a law, um, but rather it's only provided by faith in God, and specifically faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, so we're going to hit just, just the end of verse 24 and 25. He says, Jesus, our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So it's important to, to set our mindset on what that means to, to then walk through uh, the first part of chapter 5. So I love, uh, I have a friend who's a lawyer and he loves this verse because Paul is really talking kind of in, in courtroom terminology a little bit. It's colloquial terminology for the day, but um, we'll kind of walk through what the, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not Dave Louie, but, but he probably loves it too. Um, but we're going to walk through really what that, what that means and, and what, what Paul's talking about. So he says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. So looking at the, the Greek, the definition of the Greek word for delivered up, um, it's to give into the hands of another or to deliver into custody. Um, other places it's used in the New Testament when John the Baptist is cast into prison. Um, when Jesus was betrayed and turned over to the Gentiles prior to crucifixion, you know, they, they, use, that, they use that verb, um, delivered up, um, delivered into custody. 
you notice that it's past tense, so you know that happened. It happened, period. It's not going to happen, not that it will happen. It happened, done. Um, and then there's a, there's a little transition phrase, for. So the for meaning this in this case, in exchange. So he was delivered into custody in exchange. There was some substitutionary work there that was done. Um, so what's an ex, what, what is it exchanged for? And it says, are trespasses. So trespasses meaning sins or crimes. Um, delivered in exchange for our, tre- our sins and crimes. And raised for our justification. Again, the raised for our justification, that's past tense, so it happened. Um, we know that it happened. It's not that it's going to happen. It did happen, simply. Um, and the actual root word for justification is, the root word is meaning acquittal. So there's been an acquittal here. So if we put it all together, all men are guilty, all men deserve punishment. Uh, Jesus was handed over and put to stand trial for our crimes before the ultimate judge. So before, uh, not just for, you know, my crimes and your crimes, for the sins and crimes of Paul, for the sins and crimes of the other apostles, for Jews, for Gentiles, um, all crimes. And the only thing that we provide in this exchange is a need for that. Um, that's, that's our, our great need is, is what we give up. Since Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised up for our justification, we can know that that payment was accepted or that that, um, really that the crimes deserved a penalty, that penalty was levied and God accepted that penalty. So this is a great just, you know, this is the gospel, right? Jesus substituted for us. Um, He was put on trial for our sins. He suffered the wrath of God for that. And he was raised, um, and he raised in life and raised for our justification, for our acquittal. So that's the gospel. That's like, let that encourage you today. And let that color what we're going to walk through in chapter 5. So really it's, um, it's, it's what, what now, right? So Paul talked about the salvation from the penalty of sin. And we walk into chapter 5, the salvation, he talks about the salvation of a power of sin in our lives. And that really, that, that salvation from the power of sin in our lives, another word for that is sanctification. Um, and I know whenever we, we give our test, when I give my testimony, I think, um, I, I really, I love the part where I get to talk about um, that I had such a great need and I was so sinful and I needed a Savior um, and God brought me to my knees and I just prayed that that he would, you know, would, would save me. Um, and that salvation moment is beautiful and I love it. And then when I get to my sanctification, I'm like, well, you know, God's still kind of working on me and I've got some things to work out and it's either one thing, either we take it too lightly, uh, kind of like that, or we're super discouraged because we still sin. Um, so I get both sides, right? Um, but I think what, what Paul's going to show us is that that sanctification process, that process, and the sanctification is the process of God uh, making us holier, continuing to, continue, continuing to restore us to look more like 
Jesus. And that process is, is a process that we should be joyful in. And, and we'll, paint, we'll paint through that, and it's, it's going to be beautiful. We're going to love it. Um, so as we're going through these sentences, man, this is a long intro. As we're going through these sentences, we're going we're gonna to look for these, right? Look for an ongoing gift or blessing that's promised. Um, look for how that gift or blessing is delivered, and look for what our role in it is. So verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Past tense, have been justified. It's done. Our role, faith. Um, and then what our blessing is, it's peace with God. It's harmony and accord. Um, you hear some people like, no, man, I'm good with God. Like, that's it. Like, you are good with God. Um, your past sins are forgiven. A God that demands holiness because he is so holy um, accepts you as holy because of the righteous work through the work of Christ. So verse 2 kind of expands on that, what that peace of God means to us in the next passages and, and gives us a little color on what we can do with that. Um, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So that cause of action, Christ. Our role is faith again. And then we have multiple blessings here that are kind of expanded on the blessing we talked about earlier, which is peace with God. We have obtained access by faith into this grace. So access, you know, what does that mean? Before Christ, only the, holy, the high priest could have access to God. Um, when Christ would walk the earth, he clearly had access to God, and he was fully man and fully God, and so those that were around him had access to God. But now, all of us have access to God. Like, we're all deemed acceptable because of Christ's work, and we all have access to God. That is unbelievable. Like, that is a, that's a gift that's very hard to comprehend, but the more we meditate on it and pray about it, um, just the more awe-aspiring it becomes. Now, this grace refers to that access with God, that harmony and peace with God. And it talks about, it says it's grace, right? It's a free gift. Again, this was all, this was just undeserved by us. It was a free gift. And then we come to it like a, okay, well, so what, what do we do with that? What does that look like? Um, we have access to God. We have this um, how does that look? It, and it really is, comes down to a personal relationship with God. Laying our burdens at his feet, um, being comforted, approaching God as, as Abba, as Father, um, going to him for our every need. Um, then we continue on in this blessing. We say, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice so we stand in this grace and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. That's such, such a cool picture for me because I just, I love it when concepts are made physical because my like little mind is hard to understand, you know, just can't comprehend. But like you're standing, you're standing in grace. Like you are firm and there's assurance that you're in harmony with God. Um, you, there's an assurance that it's his plan at work and not ours. Um, and it's just a daily living in his presence. 
We can be bold in living with Christ when we stand. We stand in that grace. We can be bold in sharing our faith. Uh, We can be bold in helping the sick and the needy. We can be bold in caring for others and loving others as Christ loved us uh, because we stand in that grace, because we have access to that. Now, we also, that brings us to rejoice, um, not in a hope of our glory, um, but in the hope of God's glory. Um, it's not just, you know, glory here on earth, in our lives, um, but it's also ultimately glory when Christ restores all things, um, when he returns and, and he rights all wrongs. So, we kind of come to a transition here, at least in my mind a trans- transition, although it's not, but verses three through five, I've always struggled with. Um, suffering is, is a tough, it's just a tough topic for me. Um, I think everybody has suffered. Um, some of you may be suffering now. Um, and let's look to these verses and, and see what to do with it. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when I first read that, it's like out of context. People have told me that before, like, no, you know, like rub some dirt on it. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like a really bad pep talk, or like a Katy Perry song or something, you know, it's like, rub some dirt on it. You're going to be stronger. Um, you know, you know you're going to be, you're going to endure. It's, 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 it's strength of character. Um, so I've just, I've just struggled with it. But studying through it, um, preparing for this, um, and really looking at the context of the verses and the context of the gifts that's provided through Christ, um, I think we can look at it in a little different light. So breaking it down, one thing that you can notice is that sufferings are guaranteed in this. Um, it doesn't say we rejoice if we suffer. It says in our sufferings. So that, that, that would assume that we are going to suffer. Um, you know, it's an imperfect earth, and this human experience, so we, will, we will experience suffering. We should know that and be prepared for it. Um, what we're, we can make a mistake is that we think that because God is fair, that our human condition and physical reality should be fair. Don't confuse our personal situation with God's love and God's plan. We know what God's plan is. God's paradigm and ultimate glory is upon the end of the earth when he returns and every right is made, every wrong is made right and every injustice is dealt with. Every tear is wiped away. Um, Every pain and suffering is gone. That is the paradigm that God has for us. So what does this not say? It doesn't say, and we gotta be careful with pulling facts out of the Bible, what it, what it doesn't say, but, but I think we can meander here with me. It doesn't say that emotions, to be sad, to be upset, to be disappointed, it doesn't say those are wrong. 
um, we can have comfort that in Jesus' life, our example, our perfect example, who never sinned, that he felt those emotions. Um, so when we suffer, we can, we, can, we can be confident that it's okay to have emotions. Um, Heath talked last week that rejoicing is a state of being. Um, and I love that. You know, we can rejoice that God's existence and God's love does not depend on our circumstances. So what was helpful for, to me was to flip this sentence around um, and, and see if, uh, just, just see where it takes us. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. So it was easier for me to see it like that because then it, the focus of God's hope and love is at the beginning of the sentence <laughs> versus at the end. Um, we see, what we see here is an abundance of hope. We see an assurance of hope and an abundance of love. Um, this is agape love. Um, and it's the source of our hope. Um, what do we know about God's love? Like, what does it say in the Bible? God is love. You know, it's a characteristic. Um, it's unconditional. It's not based on who we are or our condition or you know, what we've done for him um, or how we relate to him. It's patient. It's kind. It's faithful, it's righteous, it's perfect, sacrificial, enduring, hopeful, it's constant, it's never changing. Love is never changing. Um, I love Taylor Swift songs. I love Taylor Swift songs. But there is a line, and I love to sing them, but there's a line I just cannot sing in Welcome to New York, maybe you've heard of it, but she says, like any real love, it's ever-changing. And I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, I can, I can put myself in her place with nearly any verse, but that verse, I just can't. Like, no, no, any real love is, is never-changing. Like, the paradigm example of love we have is never-changing. It's constant. You're wrong, Tay. What we see about this love, that this perfect love is poured into our hearts, um, that verb in the Greek, it's, it's like to gush out. It's to distribute largely, to shed forth. It's also used to talk about wine bottles when they break and wine is just gushed, poured out. Um, it's the same verb that's used to describe the shedding of Jesus' blood. So this, this love is poured out into us. It's actually the same verb nine times in Revelation that's used to describe the pouring out of wrath, God's wrath. But because of Jesus' work, instead of this pouring out of wrath, we have this great pouring out of a perfect love into our hearts. Like, what an awesome picture that is. I think of, um, I think of Living Water um, or any well company that, that, that drills a well in an area that desperately needs water, fresh water. And you see those videos and those pictures of kids, the first time some of them have seen fresh water, 
and the well is being, water is being pumped into their hands, and they're cupping their hands, and it's filling up, and it's just spilling over. Like, that is, that is God's love, perfect, clean, pure love poured into us. Like, that is a gift we have. It also says, I love it, because the verse keeps going, and it says, you know, we have all of this through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, you know? It's like we have all, we've gotten all these gifts that we talked about, and we, we have the Holy Spirit. Like, that's awesome. Like, I have an iPad, you know? I mean, I have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's awesome, right? It's, it's imprinted upon us when we believe um, the Holy Spirit is, is given to us, um, and it, Holy Spirit, you know, guides and counsels and, and governs um, our lives. With the Holy Spirit as our comforter, our counselor, and the abundance of love that's poured into us, um, we can live in a state of rejoicing um, despite suffering, knowing that God is refining us, um, strengthening us, and that ultimately the hope of Christ won't fail. Um, that part's been finished. Um, the Spirit reminds us that disappointments in life are temporary. And our great, it's just, a, I guess it's just a prelude to, to our great eternal life with God. So, you know, what do you do if you have not received these gifts, if you're still searching, if you're still seeking? Um, I implore you to listen to the last, the last five verses. Um, so verse 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us in that while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation message is that Christ didn't come to save the righteous because none are righteous. We all fall short. He came to save the sufferers. Um, he came to save the sinners. He came to save us. Um, and he did this while we were still sinners. But you, you don't even have to, like, he did it. Um, we look at the qualities of man that are, that are shown in, in these verses without God, weak, ungodly, sinners, trespassers, enemies of God, disobedient, deserving of death, deserving of judgment and wrath. Um, but God loved us so much through that, in spite of that. Um, he sought us when we were strangers. Um, he didn't, didn't leave us there. He freely accepted death and the abundant wrath that we deserved, and he reconciled us to him. Um, so he could pour out his love abundantly into our hearts. That's just a beautiful message. So if you are seeking, consider that love. 
considering love so abundant and so unconditional that it requires nothing from you but your need. A love that accepts you as you are, all your hurt, pain, all your unfaithfulness, um, all your sin. You're never too far from God. You've never sinned too much. You know, the love, this love is willing to forgive and heal. And it's just waiting for acceptance. Now, those of you who believe in this, we're, you know, what now? As a redeemed people, let's not live out our lives as children who have this great, these great gifts that are given to us and really have no concept of, of, of what they are, um, have no concept of, of what their power is, and that they just sit unused. Um, but we're recipients of these gifts which have been lavished on us. And so let's, let's stand in that grace and react to that, rejoice in that. How will our lives, our wives, our husbands, our neighbors, our city, our coworkers, Montrose, the city of Houston look? Um, how would it change if we understood those gifts and accessed those gifts that are freely given to us? How would it change if we let those gifts dictate every action, every conversation, every thought? It's a cool picture. We're going to enter into a time of, of corporate prayer. Um, or if you feel led, I'll, I'll start us off with a prayer. And if you feel led, um, feel free to pray out loud. After that, we'll hit, we'll hit communion up. Heavenly Father, um, we are spoiled. Uh, we are spoiled with just the richness of the gifts that you provided us um, through your son, Jesus Christ. Um, I praise you for those gifts. Father, help us, help us understand that. Help us comprehend those gifts. Help us use those gifts uh, for your glory, Father. 